to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and thank you guys so much for listening. And, you know, by the time you're listening to this, I hope that you're having a good day. And if not, I hope it gets better. Now, I've been gone for, you could definitely say a month because I have been busy with school and life and the world of my brain. And I... I was trying to like basically manage everything and I still I still don't know how to but I have so much time on my hands right now this present moment so I decided let me record this podcast or record this episode. I've recorded this episode two times already and it's been a mess because it sounds echoey. I tried to record a different part of my house and I didn't and then it sounded rushed and it just sounded a hot mess. Um, I don't live by myself. I don't have the freedom to set up like a little studio wherever in my house. I live with my parents and I record in my sister's closet on the other side of the house because that's where there's less noise. I literally record in my sister's closet while she's at school. So anyway, I am back. I've literally thought about this exact moment ever since I posted the last episode and I'm sorry to those that had to wait for a really long time. I literally go on the Instagram account every day just to see because I miss it so much. Um, but yeah, here we are. Um, so again, thank you guys so much for waiting. Thank you guys so much for listening to this podcast. It means the absolute world to me. So the last, I'm not going to say last week, but basically last month, the last episode that I talked about was the serial killer Ronald Dominique. And this week, we are going to be talking about the murder of Adrian Jones, and this story is also known as the Killer Cadets. So let's get started. Adrian Jones was born on June 18, 1979, to her parents, Linda and Bill Jones, in Mainsfield, Texas. The couple had three children. Adrian was the oldest, and they had two younger sons. In 1995, Adrian was a sophomore in high school. She was this beautiful girl with a wonderful smile. She was a very smart student and she was an honors student. She took advanced classes and she was always studying. Adrian participated in sports. She was on the soccer team and after hurting her knee, she decided to join the cross country team. And she was really good at it. Like, her stamina was up there. She helped her team qualify for the November Regionals for her two-mile run. Adrian loved representing her school in the best way possible. She had so much joy in participating in sports and helping her teammates while showing respect to her opponents. A lot of people said that Adrian should have been a cheerleader because she was such a positive person. She always wanted to see a smile on people's faces and her school spirit was just out of this world. Adrian worked at the Golden Fried Chicken restaurant. 
And everyone that worked with her absolutely loved it. You know when that one person that just makes coming to work much easier and you're like, oh my god, I actually love my job because of the people in it? That was why. The manager described Adrian as her superstar employee. She, she said that she made Adrian work as the cashier at the drive through window because she knew how to put a smile on everyone's face. She wore a visor and she drew a smiley face and after taking someone's order, she would say funny things to the customers such as, quote, okay, drive forward to the 99th window to get your food, end quote, and it would naturally make people smile. Adrian loved the attention she would get when it came to boys around town and at her school. One of her closest friends said that she was a big flirt. Her mom said that she would spend hours doing her makeup just to look like she's not wearing any. She told her family that you never know who you're going to meet, so she would always make sure she looked good. Her mom would call her bubble butt because of how her butt would move when she walked. Her friend and former soccer teammate said, quote, she was the kind of girl who would say hi to you in the hallway at school even if you didn't know her, end quote. Back in the Jones household, her parents had strict rules, and her father was strict on her because he knew that he raised her pretty well, but he wasn't sure that the other kids were raised just as good as Adrian was, so he didn't want them rubbing off on his daughter. They didn't let her talk on the phone past 10 p.m., and if she went to the movies, her father wanted the ticket as proof that she did go. He nailed her bedroom windows shut so that she couldn't sneak out at night, and a couple of months before the murders, her parents agreed to let her stay out past 9 p.m. After high school, Adrian wanted to go to Texas A&M University to study behavioral analysis. On December 3rd, 1995, around 10.30 p.m., Adrian gets a call and it's from her boyfriend, Tracy Smith, and they just started dating and they went to different high schools. Her mom said that something in her changed. Because with her boyfriend, she was bubbly and having a good old time, you know, just catching up with him. And the person that she was talking to now, she was much quieter. After about a minute or so, she switched the line back and started talking back to her boyfriend, Tracy. When she switches the line back, her mother comes into the room and asks, you know, who was that on the phone? And she responds by saying, quote, Oh, that was David from Cross Country. He was upset about something. End quote. Her mother left the room, and by 10.45 p.m., she walked back into Adrian's room, and she appeared antsy. But there was, like, no questions or anything that she could do about it, so she just told Adrian goodnight. The next morning at 7 a.m., Linda Jones was woken up by one of her sons asking where Adrian was. Her younger brother said that at around midnight, he heard an engine, and when he looked outside, he saw a pickup truck driving away. Linda thought, you know, 
Maybe she just went running before school because it was something that Adrian would do. But Linda went into Adrian's room and saw that her running shoes were still there. Adrian had snuck out before, and Linda thought maybe she snuck out this time, but Adrian was always back before morning. When Adrian didn't show up for school, Linda called 911 and reported her daughter as missing. Adrian had an address book, an address book, an address book. Yeah, I think that's how you say it. I, for- I always forget how to pronounce address or address. I don't know. But that book has the names, phone numbers, and addresses of you know, all of her friends, close contacts, stuff like that, because it's the 90s. And she, you know, called everyone in that book. In the address book, there were about 30 names and numbers in there, and there was no David in the book. She called Adrian's cross-country coach and asked, you know, is there someone on the cross-country team named David because Adrian is missing and he talked to her last night? The coach said that there is someone named David Graham, but he didn't think anything of it because from what he had seen between the two, they weren't friends. The coach sent another student to go and talk to David and asked if he called Adrian that night, and the student said that David looked at him, like, lost and confused, like he wasn't making any sense, and then David said, quote, no, why would I, end quote. The David that they were talking about was David Graham, who was a senior in high school and on the cross-country team as well. He was best known for being the kid with a military haircut and for being the battalion commander for the school's JROTC program. Police did interview David, but they were convinced that he had nothing to do with the murder, so they didn't even bother with a polygraph test. I don't know what led them to, like, think he has nothing to do with the murder, but I guess their reasoning, I don't know, they had their own reasoning. So, a little bit about David. So, he's the youngest of four children. His parents were divorced, and he lived with his father, who was a retired elementary school principal, and his mother was a former teacher who lived in Houston. At the age of seven, after watching his first air show, David decided that he wanted to become an Air Force pilot, and he wanted no other career. That must honestly be nice to just just stone set on having a career, because I change what I want to be when I get older, like, two times a day, and I don't even know what I want to be. He was a National Merit student, and the congressman at the time, Martin Frost, agreed to support his application to enroll in the United States Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. A girl that sat next to David in their government class said, quote, Some of the more sarcastic guys in school would address him as Colonel Graham, but you could tell they sort of said it out of respect, end quote. Another student said, quote, he could fall asleep during class and then wake up and still answer the teacher's questions, end quote. Another girl that used to date David said, quote, he was one of the last cool guys on earth, end quote. 
Later on that morning, a farmer was driving down the road and he sees Adrian's body. At first, he thinks that it's a prank, so he stays and watches her, and when he notices that she isn't moving, he goes over to her body and confirms that she was dead. On one side of her face, it was caved in. She had been shot twice, once in the forehead and once in the cheek. The farmer calls the police, and she was dressed in a sweatshirt and shorts with no shoes on. The police found two shell casings near her body, and they said that she was shot execution style. The medical examiner estimated the time of death to be around 1 a.m. the night before. And they also said that there was no signs of sexual assault. There was no sign of a struggle at the crime scene. No marks on her body that would prove she had put up a fight or was restrained. Investigators started an investigation and first looked at her house, and there was no indication that someone broke into the house or had gone through the window. It showed that she left the house, and seeing as she left the house, it meant that she knew the person. Adrian, like I mentioned before, was a really popular girl, meaning that the police had a lot of people to look into. At the time of Adrian's murder, it didn't get a lot of news coverage because the media was focused on the kidnapping and murder of nine-year-old Amber Hagerman in Arlington, Texas. And if you didn't know, when Amber went missing, it was like all over the news. They came up with the Amber Alert system and they basically named it after her. So if you ever want to know where Amber Alert came from, it came from Amber Hagerman. So investigators went to the high school kind of to scout out who they wanted to bring in and talk to. There were some that they wanted to bring in for a lie detector test. And remember when I mentioned that Adrian's brother saw a pickup truck that night, they tried to look into the students that had a pickup truck, but nothing came of it. This murder pretty much had everyone scared, confused, and thinking like, what if there's a serial killer out there? The school had to bring in guidance counselors to help with the students that are grieving her death. Her school planted a tree in Adrian's memory next to the soccer field, and her classmates and residents wore a ribbon as well. A lot of the students kept saying the same thing as, you know, that the killer was walking around the halls with us, trying to act normal. As investigators are going through the list of people, Adrian's mom has a feeling it has something to do with David. They go and talk to Tracy because he was Adrian's boyfriend, and Tracy said that Adrian came back from taking the call. And he said that Adrian said that she was on the phone with someone named Brian. And this Brian person, you know, was an actual person. They went to the same school and he would always visit her when she once worked at a subway. He would just show up unannounced. Linda Jones says, quote, 
He began to bother her so much that when she saw him coming, she started ducking her head behind the counter. End quote. He was always following her around, and he became really infatuated with her. Brian struggled a lot with his mental health, and he was on four different types of medication for depression. So they ask him, you know, to come down to the station just to talk. And at first, he says he doesn't know who Adrian Jones is. Then he says that he knows her, and a matter of fact, they're friends. Brian said that the night Adrian was killed, he drank a lot because he was sad and upset that all of his friends had girlfriends. And it was the first time that he was drinking in six months, and he was really intoxicated, so he doesn't know if he talked to her the night she was murdered or not. He said that he could have gone to her house, but who knows, because he was drunk. His friends came to his defense saying that he's not the type of person to do something like that. They're like, sure, he struggles with his mental health, but he wouldn't resort to violence. Brian's father said that the night of the murder, Brian was home all night and was sure that he never left. Police arrested him and gave him a polygraph test to which he passed with flying colors. Another suspect in Adrian's murder was a girl named Tara. She lived in a trailer park and had quite a reputation. A year prior, she thought her boyfriend had sex with one of Adrian's friends. According to police records, Tara attacked the girl with a baseball bat, hitting her over the head, breaking her cheekbone, and leaving her with a concussion. Tara also shot and wounded her boyfriend and there was a restraining order placed against Tara. And Adrian testified against Tara, so people did think that she could have killed Adrian in a way of getting back at her for testifying against her. The night of the murder, Tara had a solid alibi, and she passed her polygraph test. Bill and Linda were suspicious of Adrian's boyfriend, Tracy Smith, Linda said that after Adrian was murdered, he never contacted the family. The police gave him a polygraph test, and he passed as well. In 1996, two cadets from the Navy Academy at Annapolis, Maryland, said that their roommate had confessed to them that she had been involved in a murder. At first, they didn't believe her because it's not every day that someone comes up to you and says that they're involved in a murder. But the details that she talked about were a little too descriptive for, you know, someone can't just make that up. So they felt like they had to tell someone. Their roommate was Diane Zamora. She told her roommates that she committed the murder of Adrian Jones with her boyfriend, David Graham. Diane Zamora was born on January 21st, 1978. She was the oldest of four children. Her father was a soft-spoken electrician, and her mother was a registered nurse. Her family were very religious. When she was nine years old, she told her family that she wanted to become an astronaut. She was 
very driven. She would wake up at the crack of dawn at 6 a.m. just to study before she went to school. She took honors classes, she was in clubs, and played the flute in the marching band. She would always carry her backpack with her, no matter what, no matter where she was, and in her bag it was literally all of her schoolwork, you know, just in case she got stranded and could pass time by doing her schoolwork. And she also did cross-country. Around school, she was very introverted. She stayed to herself, one student saying, quote, she didn't have a whole lot to say, end quote. When she took her senior pictures, she asked if she could wear the special tassel for being in the top 10% of her class. And it was kind of like a manifesting thing. Like, of course, she didn't know that she would be in the top 10% of her class. It was just something she could work towards. And she, of course, you know, had no idea whether or not she would be in the top 10%, but she said she kept the picture to motivate herself, and she ended up graduating in the top 10% of her class. Diane and David met when she was 14 years old at a Civil Air Patrol meeting, and they kept in contact with each other. And they began dating their senior year of high school in 1995. They were both career-driven people. They knew exactly what they wanted. And after one month of dating, they announced that they were engaged. And they planned to get married the summer right after college graduation in 2000. Most of their relationship was long distance. Diane joined the United States Naval Academy and went to Annapolis, Maryland, and David was accepted into the Air Force Academy in Colorado Springs. Diane, like I mentioned before, was a very religious person, and she was a virgin, and staying faithful to her partner was a big thing. She wanted to also marry a virgin. She wanted to lose her virginity to her husband and only sleep with one person in her life, which was her husband. And I say that because it kind of plays a part into the rest of the story. In 1996, Diane was a midshipman at the Naval Academy and David was a first year cadet in basic training at the Air Force Academy. And everything was perfect and just going to plan. Until Diane just tells her roommates that she and her boyfriend killed somebody. And she said it with pride. Like, she was proud of it. Bragging, I would say, is the right word. She would say that David loves her so much, he would do anything that she said, even if it meant killing someone. Her roommates said that Diane never showed any signs of remorse for what she did. And the only time she did was when Diane was at Adrian's funeral, and seeing her parents cry, that made her sad. Police in Texas fly out to Maryland to question Diane about this murder, and she said that she just made the whole thing up. Like, she just said it to make herself seem cool to her roommates. Like, what a stupid mindset to have. Because if you murder someone, you're not cool. You're not. And it's not cool if you murder someone. It's not. Like, if you murder someone, I don't want to be near you. I, quite frankly, don't like you, don't want to be near you. 
so I don't know, like, you can do so many things to be considered cool, like speak another language, maybe ride a unicycle, maybe swim, but killing someone is not cool. It's not. Let's change our standards of what's cool. Please and thank you. The police went back to Texas to continue investigating, and the Navy Academy told Diane to take a temporary leave. Police then fly out to Colorado Springs and told David what Diane Zamora did, how she told her roommates that they killed a girl, and then she told them different versions of the story, that when they interviewed Diane again, she denied the entire thing. She has no idea who the girl is and how she was murdered. She knows nothing. David then started denying the entire thing as well. Police asked David, you know, if she denied the whole thing, why would you make up a story like that? And he says, quote, I don't know, maybe she was bored, end quote. The Air Force made him take a polygraph, and he failed, so suspicions were rising. They questioned David for two days, and they told him, if you don't confess to everything, you and Diane are going to get the death penalty. Police told him if he did a written confession, they would go easy on him. And David wrote a four-and-a-half-page confession about what happened the night Adrian died. It all started with the regional meet in Lubbock on November 4th. He gave Adrian a ride home, and on the way home, they stopped at an elementary school in the parking lot, and they had sex there. He described the sex as, quote, short-lived and hardly appreciated, end quote. He said he felt bad, and then he told Diane what happened that night. And remember, like I said, they promised to save their virginities for each other. So finding out that he had sex with someone else and breaking their promise made Diane absolutely livid. And at this time, Diane and David were both having sex with each other. They, even though they like they said they were going to lose their virginity when they get married or wait until marriage, I should say, they just went right for it, you know. David said that Diane was screaming and crying and throwing herself all over the floor, banging her head against the wall, and then Diane started telling David she wants Adrian to die. David said when he killed Adrian, he had no hard feelings towards her, and he just wanted to make Diane happy. On December 3rd, 1995, he called Adrian and asked to meet him outside of her house at around 1 a.m. He would pick her up and then break her neck and throw her body into the lake, and he brought weights to tie her feet down so that she would sink to the bottom. Diane was with him. She was in the back of the car. He drove to the middle of nowhere, and then Diane pops up from the back and then hits Adrian in the head with a weight. Now, where Adrian was hit, it's the back left side of the head, and I did some digging, and that is considered the toughest part of the skull, and for that to be caved in, it takes a lot of anger, a lot of force to cave someone's head in. 
In an interview, David said that snapping someone's neck wasn't as easy as it looks in the movies. I'm, like, absolutely disgusted talking about this now. Like, my face is just like, ugh. Adrian was able to climb through the window and run as far as she could and then collapsed into a barbed wired fence. And David said that Diane said, you know, we can't stop here and told him that he needs to finish the job. But David just wanted to leave it at that. David walked over to Adrian, took out his gun and shot her twice. When they got back in the car, they said that David said, quote, I love you, baby. Do you believe me now? End quote. And Diane answered, I don't know. We shouldn't have done that, or I can't believe we did that. End quote. The next day, they arrested and charged Diane Zamora with murder and held her on a $250,000 bond. She didn't ask any questions. She never denied anything. She never questioned, like, why are you arresting me? Police ask her, you know, does she want to tell her side of the story? And her side of the story, you know, was the same exact thing that was in David's confession. They gave Diane David's confession to, you know, look over it, and she wrote the same exact thing down. She talked about how she felt when David told her that he cheated and rammed her head into the floor, trying to... trying to crack her skull. And David and she told David, quote, kill her, kill her. End quote. David was arrested three days later and brought back to Texas and charged with murder, and then they were both charged with kidnapping as well, which could mean they get the death penalty. Adrian's parents said that there was too much death and that they didn't want them to face the death penalty. Life in prison was what they wanted. Police found the gun and the dumbbells in David's parents' attic, which he told them that that's where they would be. Then David all of a sudden says that he was forced to confess. He said that he was awake for 30 hours and he didn't know what was happening, and that he just wrote something on a four and a half page and gave it to them. Like, who? Tell me. <laughs> you you can't make up a story like that and it's four and a half pages long. You, you can't. No. 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 When the media found out about this story, they called it the Texas Cadet Murder, and David's confession was leaked to the press, and they used it to create a movie called Love's Deadly Triangle, the Texas Cadet Murder which came out in 1997. They were both tried separately and tried as adults, and they both pled not guilty. Diane's trial started in January 1998 in Fort Worth, Texas. The trial was filmed on court TV. There was so much attention around this case that everyone wanted to see, so they just decided to film it. Diane's best friend, Christina Mason, said that the motive was the sexual encounter with Adrian. They called David's friend, John Green Jr., and he said that the night of the murder, they both showed up at his house, 
And David seemed calm, and he comforted Diane because she was crying. And then they laid down on the floor and went to sleep. Jennifer McEnery was Diane's roommate, and she said that Diane told her that Adrian was a tramp and a slut and deserved to die. There was physical evidence they had a gun, the dumbbells, and they found Adrian's blood on the passenger door of Diane's car. And in Diane's planner, which is crazy, she wrote on December 4th, 1.38 a.m., Adrian, which is stupid. It, it just shows the type of person that you are. Like, it's not just a typical date. Like, oh, I'm going to go with Starbucks with Tracy. Like, no, this is a murder. And she just wrote it in her planner like it's any other typical day. Diane's attorney said that she was forced into making a confession and she did it to protect David because he's abusive and controlling. They tried to make the argument that David was the more dominant one in the relationship and he was more abusive and controlling. They argued about whether the wound on Adrian's head was made from either the dumbbell or the butt of the gun. Like, who did it? They put Diane on the stand to convince the jury that she was just a bystander and David was the one to kill Adrian. Diane said that, yes, she was there, but David committed the crime and she had nothing to do with it, that she was just a bystander. She said that the only thing she was guilty of was covering up the crime. She claimed that David went after Adrian and all she heard was gunshots and he brought Adrian over to Diane to show her what he did and he brought her back over to the field and shot her again. She changed her story. She said that she never wanted Adrian to die and that the whole plan was that they were just going to talk out their issues. She said she took the blame so that he could have a career in the military and that she was crying the entire time. And on the on the video in court, it looked like she was forcing some dry tears. She was crying, but like I don't know what type of crying that was. Like I I was just like, girl, stop. And it's crazy how you can tell they're just faking it so bad. And it's like, aren't you isn't that em- embarrassing? Like, stop it. She was cross-examined, and this time she was not crying. She seemed calm and cocky, making sarcastic remarks, and said that everyone that testified was a liar. The jury deliberated for six hours and came back with a verdict. On February 17, 1998, Diane was found guilty of capital murder. She was sentenced to life in prison with the possibility of parole once she serves 40 years. Adrian's brother talked at the trial, saying that the day Adrian died, something was ripped out of his heart that will never be replaced. July 1998, David's trial started, and David, by then, like, he broke off their engagement because she pinned everything on him. His defense argued that there was no physical evidence of David being there, and that the blood that was found was in Diane's car. 
and the only proof they had of David committing the crime was the confession that they said he was forced to give. Then they said that David was covering for Diane and protecting her. And all the argue, the defense argued, David had no alibi for the night of the murder, and he refused to say where he was. David claimed that he met up with Diane after she murdered Adrian, and that she confessed to David. David said that he hid the murder weapons for Diane, trying to help her. On July 15, Wendy Bartlett took the stand. She was the girl that took Adrian home after the cross-country meet. But both Wendy and David said that they took her home. Wendy testified, saying she 100% took Adrian home. And now people were confused because if he didn't take her home and have sex with her, why did he kill her? There was no proof that they did have sex anyway. It was just what David said. Adrian's friends said that 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 wasn't like her to just have sex with just anyone. Plus, she knew he had a girlfriend and she had a boyfriend. David didn't testify because his team and him, like, they knew that the jury would not be convinced. His defense called Diane Zamora to take the stand and she plead the fifth. On July 24th, the jury deliberated for eight hours and came back with a verdict. He was found guilty of capital murder, and he was sentenced to 40 years in prison. In an interview, David said that everything was a lie, and this is the part that pisses me off. He said that everything was a lie. He never had sex with Adrian. They were just friends. He said that he had driven her home once before, and that was it. He didn't drive her home the night after the cross-country meet. Still today, they are still changing their stories and still denying the entire thing. And these are grown people by now. These aren't 16, 17, 18-year-olds. I don't know how old they are, but they're grown. David said that he has adjusted to prison life pretty well. That it's just like the military, but in the military, you get more respect and in prison, the guards don't really think that much of you. He has a blog in prison about planes and hopes one day that he can get out and fly one. He said that everything was worth losing his dream over because he got away from Diane, and in 2010, he got married and got a degree in criminology and is still in prison. Diane requested a new trial and was denied. She didn't make any friends. She didn't really do anything in prison compared to David. She got married to a, another inmate who she has never seen. I don't know how that happens, but they ended up getting a divorce. She did, however, make a friend in prison, and that person is Yolanda. As in Yolanda Salvador, sorry if I pronounce her name wrong, who murders Selena. 
Those two are best friends. In 2015, Diane claimed that she and Yolanda were being targeted because they had high-profile cases and that she should be in protective custody. Now, in protective custody, they get AC, it's a bigger cell, and a TV. She tried to file a civil lawsuit alleging that a move to the prison population violated her constitution right to freedom, but they dismissed it. There is an interview she did with Dateline where she still lies and she still denies the entire thing, saying she was young and stupid and if she didn't take the blame for it, David would have killed her. Diane said that if it wasn't for her jealousy, David would have never killed Adrian and she said she wasn't involved. She was just in the car and all she did was pull Adrian's hair when they were fighting. And that is it. She took another polygraph test, and during the test, she was breathing oddly. And the person giving her the test told her to stop breathing like that. Like, stop. Just stop it. You're not, who are you trying to fool here? But she said that she was just trying to calm herself down. Two people looked at the results and couldn't decide if she was lying or not. And then a third person said that she failed the test. David did an interview after Diane's interview, and he said that Diane came to Colorado Springs to collaborate on their story and to make sure everything lined up. He said the only crime he committed was covering it up. David then changed his story again, where he said he did kill Adrian, and the motive was ultimate devotion to Diane. In an interview, a producer said, quote, It's a modern-day Romeo and Juliet, only they kill someone else instead of each other, end quote. Adrian's mom said that the memories that she have of Adrian of, are of her, playing soccer, watching her hair flip in the air, watching her with people, and seeing how amazing she was. And it's sad because she was murdered for no reason, just to fit David's narrative of some story to make Diane jealous. Adrian was such a kind, beautiful, smart girl that had her entire life ahead of her. And it always seems like the best people that are just so just too good for this world end up being the victims and both David and Diane are up for parole in 2036 um they're both liars I don't like them and I hope they stay in prison until the end of time I hope that they don't um that their parole is not granted I really I really hope so that it's not and that is the end of today's story I would love to know what you guys think. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for next week's episode that comes out every Thursday. You can follow my Instagram at criminalcuriositypod, where you can see the pictures of the case. This podcast is available on all podcast platforms, such as Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. If you listen to this on Apple Podcasts, please leave a review and rating because it helps me out so much. You can also request any cases that you have through Instagram or Gmail, which I will have in the description box. And please be safe out there, look out for one another, and until next time, bye everyone.
Thank you.